Hey everyone, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Thanks as ever for downloading us, or streaming. I don't know how you do these things. It's up to you. This is an interview with Graham Yost. Uh, this is the last of the Fast Company magazine's most creative people uh, interviews. Uh, I was so thrilled to talk to Graham again. There is no bigger justified fan than I am. Unfortunately, the beginning of this interview got cut off. Uh, Graham is an executive producer on The Americans, the new FX show. Um, and so we started out talking about that. We missed maybe the first five minutes, but you'll hear kind of the end of that conversation. Um, he's not terribly involved with the Americans these days. He was very involved with the pilot and kind of shepherding it. Uh, and so it comes in, the conversation comes in where we're talking about the look of the show and how that was kind of created. Um, and so you'll, you'll get the end of that conversation, then we'll start talking about Justified. So just a warning about that. We had some technical issues there. Um, as with all of these, uh, go to Fast Company Magazine's uh, webpage, fastcompany.com slash most-creative-people, uh, and you can see excerpts from all of these interviews, and you know we've put them out in the past few weeks as well, um, and they were a lot of fun, so I have to thank Fast Company for, for letting me do those. It was, it was a really cool thing to do. Um, we are still continuing the Nerdist Writers Panel Comics Edition this Saturday and every Saturday. Uh, it's a little bonus episode that comes out as part of this very feed. Uh, on this Saturday's edition, we talk about the psychology of various characters, including Batman, the Hulk, and a very weird conversation about Richie Rich. So please check that out. Don't forget to refresh your feeds on Saturdays to get the Nerdist Writers Panel Comic Edition. As ever, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps us, which helps 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program, uh, which is the sole beneficiary of these podcasts, the monetary one. I, I feel the benefits of it in my heart. Thanks for listening. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Not go goofy with it. Mm-hmm. So that's especially the case in, um, you know, costuming. Yeah. Um, set decoration and I, it, it and feels so right. I it feels say. right, and yet feels it's like when I was a kid. And we're not making jokes about it. There yeah. are little things. You see the Jordache jeans. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, but not a lot of shoulder pads yet. Not not a lot of leg warmers and stuff. Right. The 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 kids can get into that some more. You know, um, Paige is always sort of flirting with wanting to be this. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> hip, the trends. There's the trends time, and all yeah. that. So. Um, but that that was a big decision, and then music. Um, hmm. There was a huge debate, huge debate over whether or not to use uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight. <laughs> really? Oh my God! When the first, when the first, and actually, I got to say, when I first saw the, the the pilot, and Gavin O'Connor knew from the beginning that he wanted to use Tusk in the mm-hmm. opening sequence, and I was so <laughs> unsure, and I frankly hated it first, and then saw it again. And then by the third time, I was leaving the editing room, and that song was in my head, and it was like, this is it, this is cool. So um, he had a real vision for that. And in the air tonight, he really shot it for that song. Mm-hmm. And we tried other songs, one of my favorites, Here Comes the Flood by Peter Gabriel, mm-hmm. and it worked, and then it didn't work. And then we found another version that didn't really work, but then worked, and it was like, 
couldn't it had to be Phil Collins. That's so interesting. And so there's a little bit of a almost a joke to it. We so when we saw it at the premiere, you know, there's some laughter in the audience when mm-hmm. that song starts, and it, that's okay. Mm-hmm. The thing is, by the time they start making love, that song is working perfectly. Right, Absolutely. and it's sort of like we're not laughing anymore. Yeah. Now we're with them. It's we're the not 1980s. We're not pulled yeah. out. It's the 1980s. This is their framework. This <clears throat> works for them. So. That's hilarious. And I have to ask, as long as we're talking about it, this on this season finale of Justified, uh, you'll never leave Harlan alive. Yes. How how often well, we have used, you wanted to? Well, use we used it, it once, in the right? we used it in the first season. And was we, it, it was was it late in the first season? Uh, very the, the last oh, song. Okay. It's as as. As Boyd is about to drive off, and he and Raylan have killed all these bad guys, and Boyd's going to try and find the person who killed his father, we started the song. Oh, right, okay. And then in uh, season two, uh, when Mags kills herself, it, oh, that, we go into that. that song at the very oh, end. Okay. And people were, you know, some fans were upset that we didn't use it at the end of season three, <laughs> uh, but it just didn't fit. Mm-hmm. We tried it, we tried it, we tried it, it just didn't fit. But I knew that with Arlo dying, that this was the perfect time to use the song. And then the idea of using uh, Dave Alvin, that was um, great still, our music supervisor's idea. Um, we love Dave. He's been a big part of the show. So um, yeah. it was sort of a different, sort of more mournful take on it. Yeah. Um, less country, more more kind of rootsy in a way, mm-hmm. oddly enough. But anyway. Yeah, it felt like it was kind of digging deep in, in yes. the soul at that time. Yes. Uh, that was a, a brutal end there. Um, but I want to talk about just... Um, this Americans thing for one more second and kind of tied sure. to this season of Justified, too, where it felt like, you know, it feels like the Americans at its best um, plays the metaphor of marriage and spies. Um, and, and it hits more often than it misses. You know, it really does that well of what are the secrets in a marriage and, you know, what are we keeping from each other and how are we on the same page or different pages and what are the different things we want. And it felt like Justified was kind of leaning into its metaphor this season as well. Um, you know, big things happening for the characters, uh, for Raylan specifically with his father dying and sort of finding finding the line, uh, as it were. Uh, were. You know, was this a conscious decision or was it really what paces do we put him through this year, you know? No, it was, it was a conscious decision and sort of more than any other season, although... Season three had there were elements just this notion of crossing the line mm-hmm. that and that was really personified in Ava in the season three. At the end of season two, she said no whores, and by the end of season three, she is running a whorehouse mm-hmm. and she smacks around one of her prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And it was we thought that was a you know it, it's that sense of how did I get here? Mm-hmm. How you know and you cross that line and you don't realize you've crossed it. And Raylan does some things in season three as well which is sort of uh, crossing the line, especially toward the end when he confronts Wynn Duffy in the trailer. And you don't know if he's pawned the bullets or not, and we don't tell the audience that. And we don't know for sure, in a a way, even the writer's room, (laughs) um, was he going to kill Wynn Duffy just to get this information? So that was sort of a thematic thing in three. In four, we like the idea, uh, want to explore the idea of... The cliché version is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. So... Raylan has good intentions, which is making some extra money, maybe advancing his career for his uh, um, child on mm-hmm. the way. For Boyd and Ava, it's trying to build a future together. And they end up doing all these things that they can excuse because it's for the future. Mm-hmm. 
but they all have you know harsh consequences, and harsher for for Boyd and Ava than for Raylan. But still, there are consequences. You know, there's a sense with Raylan if he hadn't if he hadn't gone after you know if he had just sort of said, okay, the job is done, we've turned over Drew Thompson, everything else is up to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't gone down looking for um, Ellen May, um, that wouldn't have started the whole thing between him and Nikki. It wouldn't have mm-hmm. the Nikki threatening Winona and all of that stuff that happened and he almost loses his wife and child he almost loses his job he's able to pull it out Boyd however is not I mean if they hadn't in the in fourth in the fourth episode decided to kill Ellen May mm-hmm. if they just trusted her none of this this stuff would have happened and uh, you know and they made that choice because they were trying to secure the future mm-hmm. yeah it seems like this was the year where it was a lot more choices being made by the characters rather than reacting to the things around right. them. And, and it just, I mean, it turns into heartbreak. Yes. That, that Boyd and Ava story and, you know, Raylan's story with his father and everything. Uh, I mean, it was really well done. Uh, talk to me a little bit. Let's let's take a step back. Right, and, and actually that backing up, Raylan yeah. is, is to an extent responsible for his father's death. Yeah. Because if he hadn't pushed so hard, you know, um, if, he had just, if he had just said Okay, let's give Arlo his deal, right? Yeah. Would have found out if he wasn't times. a dick about it. If he wasn't a dick about <laughs> it. If he wasn't trying to keep his father from getting this thing, but he had a good reason. His father killed a law enforcement, you know, someone he knew, someone he was friendly with. He killed him, and so he didn't want to see him walk. And so he's got a good reason. But if he had just accepted the world as it was and let it play out, they would have gotten Drew. None of this would have happened. So anyway, uh, in, that's an interesting facet to the character too. I mean, this thing of I feel like we saw in the first couple of seasons this, well, the world is how it is, and I do what I can, uh, as opposed to these later seasons where there are these conscious choices. Um, but let's talk about coming into this season. Uh, how, how big is the writer's room? How do you guys work in the writer's room? You said you had a great, you have a, tend to have a great lead time before production starts. Uh, so take me kind of to the beginning of that season and how things, how conversations start. Well, we've got a, we've got a big room. I think it's, I wish I could tell you the number. I have to go through a list. I believe it's nine, including me. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of people. But you know, when you get later into a series, you need more minds. Yeah. Um, and I asked everyone if it'd be okay to start really early. That I wanted to get a real jump on the season. Mm-hmm. I was hoping. I don't live in LA. I live up in Monterey, right. so I commute every week. And I wanted to spend more time at home. It didn't entirely turn out that way. It was a little better. Um, in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, but then it just got really tight. Was uh, wanting to get the jump on it on it a reaction to the previous season or the the, the work? Yeah, I mean, it's season? just you know, uh, Tim has a lot of input, and right. it's better to get that earlier rather than as we're heading into production, we're scrambling sure. and you know um, doing rewrites in pre-production yeah. and while we're shooting. I mean, that's going to happen anyway, but trying to reduce that. Um, and we did well. We we had four scripts ready before we started shooting. Uh, but we, uh, you know, for the next few, we kind of, you know, hit the mud. And mm-hmm. so we kind of ended up losing our lead. Um, and that's just the way it went. Yeah, and, and that doesn't seem unusual. For no, it's not unusual. Show. And we, you know, it's just, as I say, you know, we started with a huge lead time, and in our last episode we were prepping off an outline, you know. <laughs> so, and that just happens. When you convene the writers at the beginning of the season, what kind of plans are in place? What kind of signposts are you guys looking to set up? Well, we all we always kick around stuff at the end of the previous season. Mm-hmm. And I had said that I was interested in um, 
a few things. One was uh, a snake handling church. Mm -hmm. I thought that would be a cool thing to explore. It was also when we had heard about these swinger parties, swingers parties mm -hmm. in Harlan. I was interested in that. Um, and so Chris Provenzano and Ingrid Escajeda went down to uh, Lexington and Harlan mm -hmm. and spent, spent some time there. Yeah, I love that you guys send the writers down there. Try, try to do that every year. And then, so they came back with a bunch of stories. And one of the stories they came back with was this, uh, this position of constable. Mm -hmm. and so that became something. And I'd always, I'd heard the story of the Bluegrass Conspiracy 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, I was interested, I've always been interested in trying to use that, and this became That's the cool. season to do that. Yeah. So those are the things we're coming in with. And then it was, actually we didn't really come in with the Bluegrass Conspiracy. We came in with the Snake Church. We came. We knew that we wanted to do something with Raylan and Lindsay, the bartender. Mm -hmm. We wanted to really get into the Elmore thing of <laughs> the duplicitous um, woman, and mm -hmm. yet, you know, there's always a twist. Yeah. So we knew that. We kind of had that idea for the first four episodes for Raylan. The first four episodes for Boyd would be the Snake Church. And uh, we knew that we didn't want them to see each other until about the fifth episode. Those were the big sort of signposts that we had. And we knew that at the end of the season we wanted to have uh, Ava in jail. Mm -hmm. um, and and everything happened. else, and we knew that we wanted, we were thinking that they would get married, but we also knew that at least we were going to see a proposal. Mm -hmm. So those were the big things that we came in with. Mm -hmm. How um, did you guys know? That's that's an interesting thing to bring up, though. How did you guys know the time was right for to to move forward that love story? Um, we felt that they'd really come together in three. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw the the beginnings of it in season two, um, and then it really sort of blossomed in three. A certain mutual respect and, and a you know deep affection, and um, you know we've been always headed with them for Bonnie and Clyde. Mm -hmm. You know. Sure. Um, and then, you know, okay, we're doing Bonnie and Clyde, but then we knew we wanted to get to the point where, you know, Ava couldn't pull the trigger, mm -hmm. um, but she's not Bonnie. Um, so that was also a goal. And then how do these things start to coalesce around episodes? Well, we do that fairly early. I mean, I could take into the writer's room. We, I, I erased the grid. The grid's still up, but I erased mm -hmm. the contents of the grid. But we, we started laughing about it by December because... <laughs> You know, the first four episodes in the grid were um, were pretty much what we did. Right. And then, and the fifth episode, too, there was a big thing, Hill People. And then, uh, you know, and we knew Swinger Party was going to be in here at some point. We knew we would reveal who Drew Thompson was around nine, and we had, but it really starts to tumble out of control. There were still some big things. We knew there'd be a threat to Winona in the last episode, um... We knew we would resolve the uh, the cult thing, mm -hmm. probably the episode before. So there were there were certain things that we kept going towards, but the details of it no longer were you know yeah were anything like what we had on the board. Uh, and where did, uh, well, I guess Drew Drew Thompson was there from the beginning, obviously. Yeah, we just didn't know who it was going to be. Yeah, and that and you know if you've talked to Jim, mm -hmm. if you talk to Taylor, you know that that was something that just appeared to us. Mm -hmm. And um, and it made sense. Did it make sense when you guys hit upon that? Well, I, you know, we're, we're all trying to remember if we maybe had suggested someone had suggested it earlier on, and uh, we shot it down, or I shot it down. Mm -hmm. And that's a common experience in the room. Is someone will come up with something and I'll shoot it down, and then the next day I'll go, you know what? Right. I've got a great idea. It's my <laughs> idea now, and now it's good. No. Thank God you guys yeah. have me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'll say, you know what, Ingrid, that idea, blah, 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 let's do that. And yeah. um, so, but at any rate, I remember getting the phone call, and it was Cavell, 
and Andron, and it was it was Ben had really pitched it hard, but if mm. Shelby is Drew, and so um, you know we just all thought about it, and Fiji, who uh, I think our joke name for him is Storytron Six Thousand, but he. He's able to keep all the seasons in his head and is able to think back. Okay, this is what we know about Shelby. This, you know, and then we had to do some research. Okay, let's look at all the Shelby scenes we've ever done. What do we know about him? Mm-hmm. Does this track? And when it made sense, you know, the right age, the mm-hmm. the uh, the slimness of the detail that we provided, that it all fit. And uh, and mm-hmm. so when when it landed, it landed pretty. pretty Pretty solid. And this is the kind of nerdy question I hate when uh, the people in my audience ask, but what were some of the wrong roads you guys went down? Oh, oh we, I mean, the other roads, initially the whole plan was that it would be one of the Clover Hill guys. It would be oh, really? like Lee Paxton played by Sam Anderson mm-hmm. or maybe Frank Browning or, uh, you know, one of those guys and really leaning hard towards Lee Paxton. In fact, we called him Lee Paxton because at one point we were thinking of trying to get Bill Paxton onto the show right. and that he would end up being the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Or not the bag, but it ended up being Drew. So um, we played with that for a long time. And then there was a while when uh, it was going to be Josiah. Mm-hmm. And I was pushing hard for that. And we thought about that a lot. But then we realized we had to chop off his foot. And if we chopped off his foot, that would you know just negate him as um, an active member in the in the sto- sure. an active part of the story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like we did research on how fast someone with a prosthetic could be walking, how fast could someone move on crutches, you know, if we just had a stump and we were thinking, okay, it's going to be a green screen nightmare. Anyway, we went through all of that and then landed on Shelby and it just answered all the questions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, tell me a little bit about how the room works. I mean, like we said, you, you guys have a fantastic room. These are great writers in there. Um, no egos? How do, you know, no, no. Does... I mean, we've all got egos, <laughs> and we're, you know, relatively competitive. And, and, you know, there's frictions at time. But it's a pretty, um, it's a, I think it's a pretty happy room, mm-hmm. you know. We, I may read a book about this, you know, my years <laughs> unjustified by someone someone in the room right, five years all. from now and go, holy shit, I didn't know that happened. Um, but, it, you know, it's, there is a, uh, there's a pretty good esprit de corps mm-hmm. in that we, in, uh, we all enjoy being on this show. We yeah, like that we get to write the stuff we get to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're proud of the product and, and all of that. That's great. Um, Tell me about managing. Well, managing, group. you know, so I've been working with Fred Golan since Boomtown. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, we, when Reigns came along, uh, even though I wasn't going to be showrunner initially, I ended up being a showrunner, mm-hmm. um, but um, made sure that Fred was hired. And Fred and I also worked on a, uh, a miniseries that never got made for NBC about 9-11, hmm. um, along with Chris Brancato, who had also worked on Boomtown. So we, we did that together for about eight months. So anyway, I worked with Fred for a long time. So when this show started to come together, he was, um, he was available. And um, he was very kind in he, that he, he didn't staff that year, because we, did we didn't hire until July and August. Hmm. Um, so it was really a late, a late hiring season, but Fred kept himself free. So Fred is the number two on the show. He's in terms of the writer's room, but he's an executive producer. So he's part of the, 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 the hierarchy, the upper hierarchy of the show. Um, and then out of that first season, 
Um, it was really tough to find the show and, and have writers write the show. Provenzano did a really good job and really stepped up. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Cavell came out of, it was his first time on a show. Okay. And then I read his first outline for an episode and uh, said to Fred, okay, he's got it. So we started throwing some rewrites at him. Um, and we got Dave Andron to write um, a freelance for us. He wrote two freelance for us that season. Uh, you Taylor, must have had a pretty small staff in that first season. No, I mean there were a number of other writers, but oh, okay. then and but then you found the ones that clicked. In the yeah, story. and then yeah. Um, Taylor was still on Cold Case, so mm-hmm. once that when that wrapped, we were able to get him for the second season. And that mm-hmm. was that was a big addition, and it sort of emerged. And um, you know, there's just there's sort of senior writers like. Um, Cavell and Andron and, and, and Elmore and Provenzano who will get sort of a script by themselves mm-hmm. um, and so we'll do that more towards the, the first half of the season and then as it starts to get a little crazier then we start pairing people up right. um, and actually we did more pairing people up this year than we had ever done before and mm-hmm. it really it really worked Really. and we, last year what we had done we had, um, like, VJ got a script, but Antron was backing him up, mm-hmm. but it wasn't an official partnership on it. This year, we went for the official partnership. Why do you so, think the, the, those team-ups worked so well? Um, <clears throat> you know, everyone has different strengths, and, um, you know, part of it is to get the, you know, the sort of younger, f- not fresher necessarily, but... Mm-hmm. Um, newer writers um, give them more experience because the hope is that you know over the next two seasons that um, you know they can absolutely produce an episode on their own. Sure. Um, although the other good thing about pairing them up is then we don't lose one person in the writers' room for three weeks. Right. You know, we lose a combination and they're back and forth right. and they're spelling each other so hmm. it helps keep the room going interesting uh, in that first season you know you guys like you say you were finding what the show was <clears throat> how how did you know when something was clicking um you know it's just it, the whole goal for the series right from the beginning has been to do a really fun show mm-hmm. and it sort of does this episode entertain us and we learned some things some things didn't work um as well, you know, it's like, okay, we don't do that well. We don't do Ernest well. That's not our show. Mm-hmm. Um, rich people aren't as interesting to us mm-hmm. as um, people are, you know, Elmore's whole rule is, you know, it should, should be about no more money that can fit, than can fit in a suitcase. <laughs> sure. um, and we've gone bigger than that. We've had mm-hmm. stuff worth millions and stuff, but it still ends up, you know, Dickies after a water cooler full of money. Right. And it's, you know. Um, but it's funny. I mean, you say you don't do earnest well, but you do honest really well. And you yes, don't do there's money, a diff- but there's you do a, stakes. You do you stakes, know? exactly. And that people care a lot about their small little part of the pie. Yeah. You send the writers to set, right? They produce their episodes. Right. Are they there all through post, too? Um, more so now. Mm-hmm. It used to be that that was a, a pretty hard, fast line, that mm-hmm. it was just Michael Dinner oh, really? and myself and then Fred. Uh, but now the the writers, uh, you know, the, the senior writers are mm-hmm. more involved. And was that even, out of necessity? You know, it's out of ne- not out of necessity so much as they've earned it. You know, That's and cool. they've learned the show too, and right. they have opinions. And even the junior writers, I mean, they 
they'll see a cut and the, they have notes, they give notes, and you know we think about That's it. Great. And, and, and you know it really is a uh, it's a big team effort. Mm-hmm. Is it a smoothly running machine? By no means. No. No. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, I'm going to put out the podcast where Taylor kind of talks about the nuts and bolts of the thing. But you know, what's what's your take on? Uh, you know, stuff getting done on the fly, changes being made. Is this usual? Is this unusual as far as your experience on a show? Um, you know, it's it's different for me. Uh, my experience on Boomtown, as we were talking about outside, mm-hmm. was much more, this is what we write, this is what you say. And there would be some input. I would sit down on Boomtown with the um, sort of the four main, mm-hmm. four or five main cast members um, and go through their stuff and any notes that they had. Um, we would talk about, but it wasn't the way it is unjustified where, um, it can get pretty wild sometimes that, you know, a lot of, I mean, even guest actors have, Mm -hmm. have ideas, have notes and, you know, on the one hand that can be very dangerous. And I think though that what we have found is, Hey, bring it. If it's a good idea, we'll use it, you know? Mm -hmm. And if it's not, we won't. Um, and there's a lot of policemen on the set. There are a lot of people mm-hmm. who know what the show is. That's what I was wondering. You know, about. I mean, you know, Tim really knows what the show is. Mm-hmm. Walton does. Joel, Nick, you know, Jacob and Erica, they all have their strong points of view. And you tend to use the same directors, too. Yes. And that's so the other thing. Good so they know what the show is, too. Yeah. Uh, and then with the, with a writer on set, I would imagine you have that kind of right. guidance who can... Whether they're you know making decisions or can report back to you. And yeah, sometimes things days. come back to me, yeah. um, but a lot of it you know less and less because people have an idea of what what's going to work in the sure. show. And that doesn't mean I don't see things in the cut, and so I go, I wish we had done it the way we wrote it. Right. But you know we're always maybe three or four minutes over in the <laughs> cut in the first hey, cut, that's not so bad. so we can trim stuff out. Yeah. You know? And we and we have a flexibility. Our production team is so amazing that if we find we're missing something or we want to reshoot something, we go back and we do. Is that is that freeing for you as the show you know gets a little older to have these other people have have control and understand the voice, uh, or does it does it worry you as you know the manager? No, no, of the show? It, you know it doesn't it doesn't worry me because we are we are happy with the product sure. I, I, and and uh, we enjoy the show. If the show was really struggling or we hit a sort of dark creative patch and mm-hmm. it wasn't really coming together then it then you know that would be a different thing but um you know we all have a certain faith that it's going to work out mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting to me i mean I, I mentioned this earlier for a show that you know to hear it described where th- changes are being made and everybody has this kind of it's, it's this democratic approach uh, it never feels like the wheels are going to come off. You know, there's a looseness to the show, which makes it feel lived in and makes it feel like a real world. Uh, you know, we, we kind of compared it to what Milch did on Deadwood, where he had this town and could show up and play with it and you say, I think this is what we'll do today. And it's not quite that loose, but, um, you know, would the show be the same in a more controlled environment? Or would it, would it not have the life that it has? It wouldn't have the life. You know, one of the things about Elmore Leonard is he, you know, he doesn't outline. He just starts writing. And if he gets down a path and he doesn't like it, he'll just scrap it and start again. You know, he doesn't, so he doesn't always know where he's going. And he will surprise himself. There have been, there's a scene in Riding the Rap where he didn't know that this one guy was going to shoot this other guy. And he just did it and trusted it and went with it. And if it hadn't worked out, he would have gone back and tried it a different way. But... 
we we do that as much as we can. It's mm-hmm. difficult doing a television show, especially yeah. because we do need to kind of plan for the whole season. We don't want to just completely make it up on the fly. Right. But within the box, we can, you know, um, play within, you know, it's like, okay, we've just got to get here by the end of the scene. What's the most interesting and unexpected way we can get there? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that comes up on the set. Sometimes sure. it's in pre-production. Sometimes it's first draft of the writer. Mm-hmm. And is there stuff, you know, I imagine, especially in those early months of any season where, you know, ideas are flying around, is there stuff you are dying to do in the show or do to or with the characters that you haven't uh, gotten a chance to yet? Oh, there are a few things we just always kick around and we still haven't been able to crack, and yeah. so we end up with a sort of different version of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and, you know, there's still stories that, you know, will go up early on the board more standalone episodes, mm-hmm. you know, just little things that are code words to us, mm-hmm. you know, whether sure. it's Mr. Success, uh, that means something to us, um, you know, safe surrender means something to us, and we'll see if we, if, if they ever land. Mm-hmm. And it feels like in this world that is growing, uh, there are just so many more characters to play with, there's, you know, so much more to explore, you guys must feel like you don't have enough episodes. Well, y- yes and no. I mean, I-, I think that I think we always feel at the end of the season, okay, we're done. That we, was the season, and that's we told it. the story. Yeah, I, I don't don't wish we had a fourteenth episode, nor do I wish we'd only done. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times in the season where the joke is with with Tim and myself and Fred is let's just call John Landgraf and say, you know what, nine episodes. We've got really <laughs> good nine episodes, and let's just be done with that. Um, but we never end up making that call, and it ends up working out. Mm-hmm. Anything you can tell us about what you're thinking about for next year? You know, Boyd's going to do everything he can to get Abe out of jail. Oh man, that you was know? that was brutal. Yeah, that was so brutal that's ending. a that's a big that'll be a big thing. Um, and um, you know, we're we're really planning on that baby being born finally. Mm-hmm. So uh, Raylan will have adjustments there. Interesting. Um, but in terms of what the big thematic thrust of the season would be. We don't really have that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing that I could say. Sure. There's a bunch of ideas, but we, you know... Yeah, it's, it it's, has, it's so early. Yeah, it hasn't really gelled yet. Yeah. Uh, and are you... Have you directed any of the episodes yet? No, I haven't directed. Are you, you interested know, in it? You know, listen, I love directing, and yeah. I've done it, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I know that I'm good enough. Um, but my feeling is I, there's so much to do on the show in the, in the job that I have. Um, that it doesn't feel like, boy, I really want to get in there and you know mm-hmm. do that because I'm not getting to express my creative whatever. Right. No, I get we get all that and more. That's great. Um, the other thing is uh, our directors are just so good. You know, I look like I look at an episode like uh, like Decoy that Michael Watkins directed, and it's mm-hmm. like I don't I don't know if I could have done that that well, um, or sure. whatever you know what Bill Johnson and Don Kurt and. John Dahl and Michael, of course, Michael Dinner. You know, it's just, you know, it's they're really, really strong directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not these workman like TV directors who. Come no, but I mean, time. no, they're not. But the thing is, that television has changed so much that all these, you know, quote unquote, workman like TV directors now get an opportunity to really do interesting stuff, mm-hmm. and they've been waiting for that, and yeah. you know, they can do it. Especially um, in these cable. Yeah, especially in the cable world. The There's just a lot of really talented directors. Yeah. So. Um, and I should ask you, as long as we're you know we're heading into staffing season, 
I'm sure you have some holes in your staff to fill. What do you look for in a script? Uh, what do you look for when you talk to someone? You know, we're looking... Well, in terms of the script, you know, that's changed over the last 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. Certainly the last 10, where you used to read specs of other shows. Now everyone just wants to read an original pilot. Yeah. And um, Elmore Leonard has a very distinctive voice. Um, I don't expect to hit that perfectly, but it's just sort of an attitude mm-hmm. towards story and toward character. Um, I'm looking for a facility with humor mm-hmm. and with um, intention, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and, and it, the fact that looking for something that's idiosyncratic. Hmm. You know. So we're always looking for that. Um, in terms of the meeting, it's just sort of, you know, do they like Elmore Leonard and prove it, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, it's kind of, that's basically it. That's funny. You know, I mean, it, people come in and say really nice things about the show, and that's great, but it's, you know, it, it really comes back to Elmore. Sure. They have to get him yeah. to make the show. That makes sense. Are you watching TV? Do you have time to watch TV? Is there anything The Room is talking about that you guys... I mean, The Room talks, you know, it, you know, when does Breaking Bad start up again? <laughs> Everyone's talking about Breaking Bad. They all, all, all rooms talk about Breaking yeah. Bad. All rooms talk about Homeland. Yeah. Um... Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones one. airs in our during our hi- our hiatus. <laughs> Otherwise, we would That's be talking funny. about you know Celici every or whatever you right. know. And uh, Tyrese, oh god, uh, Peter Dinklage's character. Oh, but, so uh, good. <laughs> but uh, I haven't seen the first two episodes yet, or the first episode, I guess, that are at Sunday night. Um, I'm saving it. My son and I watched nice. that together. Oh, that's but yeah, we're big game fans. Uh, my son and I love Archer. Um, Psych. We still watch Psych. We still enjoy Psych. <laughs> That's a, come up a lot lately. You know, it's a smart it's show, a, yeah. and they've really, it's so entertaining. You and know? it's and it, they're and having it, a good time. It, that, that thing, that, that looseness that, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. So that <laughs> in that half hour I mentioned Archer, um, you know, uh, Modern Family, Louie. I like watching a lot of half hour stuff when I'm, especially when we're working because that sort yeah. of clears out my mind. Um, yeah, Louie is, I think, one of the best shows ever in television. Oh, it's so. remarkable, right? Yeah. Um, and then and, Colbert and, and John Stewart. Too. Yeah. Uh, anything get you excited this, you know, recently? In the I thought year? last season was a really good a really yeah. good year for movies. What were That's, the standouts for you? You know, I just thought there were really good Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. And as well as the sort of more independent stuff. But, for example, back in 2010, my favorite movie of the year was Winter's Bone. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't so much anything like that, although Beasts of the Southern Wild was in that world, kind of. I thought that was a great film. But I enjoyed the hell out of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Argo was just a great American film. Yeah, you it know? felt like an old Hollywood yeah, film. Yeah, it was just in such good, a good, smart way. Hollywood yeah. film. And I thought Flight was a good, smart Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the kind of films they would do more in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Here's, here's an issue. We're going to do this character study of an alcoholic. And put them through the ringer and see what happens, you know? And so uh, there were a lot of films like that. And, you know, and I love Django and, and um, you know, there were a number of others, uh, cool. Silver Linings. So it was like, uh, it, was, it was a pretty good time. Mm-hmm. Are you looking to get back into features at all? You know, my, my brother and I uh, write together and we're always working on something. Um, and if it materializes, that's great, if, yeah. you know, but, you know, I've got a job until then. <laughs> you got a few jobs. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for taking You got it. We appreciate it. Okay, man. Now leaving Nerdist.com.